Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick and Knight Show. It is a pleasure to be here as always. We've got a, an interesting lineup for you this evening. I hope you'll join us. The numbers are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. And you can send me an email at nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's nick at latenightcouncil.com. Now, just a little bit of housekeeping. We're going to be making an announcement about scheduling next week. Um, we're going to have to play with the schedule a little bit, um, and we're not exactly sure how this is going to unfold, so tune in next week, and I'll tell you, by then we'll have a decision made, and we'll know what's going to, exactly what's going to happen. Uh, so with that out of the way, let me give you the numbers again, 343-700-4390. The long-distance line is 844 844- 562-4766. Email you can reach me at is nick at latenightcouncil.com. I'll try to keep an eye on all of that. I've got Facebook going. I've got all kinds of things going to try and stay as much in touch with you as I can, given the parameters of what we're dealing with. Okay, now, on tonight's show, first I want to start off with talking about last Sunday's, just real briefly, last Sunday's Grey Cup game. We held it at the Kent, um, Kent Street Legion, the Montgomery Legion, 330 Kent Street. Had an absolute ball. I want to thank the staff down there. They did a great job. We all had a lot of fun. And to, to put it mildly, that was the best football game I have ever seen in my entire life. It was just unbelievable. It was Canadian football. at No, it was football at its best, regardless of the league. I mean, look. First of all, I'm a homeboy when it comes to the CFL. I love Canadian football. I love the fact that only it's only three downs. I love the fact that got to move the ball. You can't carry it for just a yard and a half and keep it. You got to move it, and if you can't move it, you got to get rid of it. So there's a lot of things going on on the field when you're watching Canadian football game. You really got to pay attention, and it was unbelievable. There was everything. There was. Uh, fumbles. There was touchdowns. There was field goals. There was interceptions. There was shoestring tackles. There was overtime. It was uh, if you wanted to see it in a football game, short of an all-out brawl, which football games are, they just everybody wears equipment and they do it in some unorganized fashion, I suppose. But what a game! Just man, I'm telling you. And I'm not even an Ottawa Red Blacks fan, but I was explaining to somebody the other day. I like sports. I like hockey. I like baseball. I like football. I like NASCAR. I like, you know, I just like sports. I, I like athletics. And in the case of football and hockey, I'm a fan of the game first, and then I have a team that I root for, which translates to English to say that if my team doesn't make the playoffs, it's not the end of the world. If the Leafs don't make the Stanley Cup finals or the semifinals or whatever, they don't make the playoffs, I'll keep watching. I enjoy the game. Now, if my team makes it, that's even better. Like if Hamilton had made the Grey Cup this year, I'd have been ecstatic. But I, will, I love the game to the point where I don't, I, I don't, it doesn't kill me if my team doesn't, doesn't make the playoffs. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy that game. And I know that everybody was, that came out to the party that night, um, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we had some music. We had a lot of, you know, some food and all that sort of thing. It was just a great time. And to top it all off with a game like that, oh, man, that was just unbelievable. So I want to thank everybody who came out. I want to thank the Legion. 
And congratulations to the, to the Red Blocks. They, Red Blocks, Red Blacks. They certainly earned it. And I watched the opening of the Ottawa Senators game tonight. And you want to talk about a class, classy move. They bring the Red Blacks out to center ice on a red carpet. And the last guy to come out is um, Harris. Ken, I think his first name's Ken. The, um, uh, the quarterback for the Red Blacks. Now, he's got what could be a career-ending knee injury. And he comes out on crutches. And they're going to do the ceremonial face-off. So what do they do? They take the puck and they put it in the Grey Cup itself. So when they, pay, when they do the face-off, they literally pour the puck out of the cup onto the ice. It's just a great touch. I just loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Okay, now to the more serious stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, now, I don't know which way to go. Let me just start with the first one on the list. Patrick Brown is up to his old tricks. And, you know, when you look at our country as a whole, there seems to be an assault on our basic institutions from all kinds of different quarters, all kinds of different places. And what bothers me is... If you look at them as individuals, they seem overwhelming, but at the same time, it just it never seems to end. There's always some kind of fire that has to be put out somewhere. So Patrick Brown, if you remember a little while ago, there was a big controversy about the riding of, of uh, Rito Carlton uh, with Jay Tysick and what happened to him, how they had a hand-picked candidate, Golda, Gol, Golsa Gamari, who is a lot of things, but conservative isn't one of them. Uh, you know, that whole schmazzle, we covered that repeatedly and like a blanket well apparently it's happened again not apparently it has happened again a guy by the name of Derek Duvall let me see if I can find it uh, here on my Facebook page because that's why I brought it up uh, oh I know where it is hang on this is what happens when I don't have anybody saying okay here's where you need to go next son uh, is it this one uh, yes okay I want to share some of this with you because this is just ridiculous uh, this is from Derek Duvall. This is from his Facebook page uh, from a day or two ago. Uh, now, I don't blame him, but let me jump down. Uh, he's talking about being disqualified as a candidate. Now, get this. Patrick Brown has made a big deal out of having fair and transparent and open uh, candidate nomination processes. Well, he's made a joke of that. Uh, He's just embarrassing the way that he's dealing with this. He's, the longer he stays as leader, the worse his leadership gets. And this is just another example. Because let, let me ask you something. Wouldn't it be fair? Because Mr. Duval went out. He found 1,200 new members for the Ontario PC Party. They each paid 10 bucks. And for that $10, because when you do something like that, when there's money involved, it's a transaction. And people expect something for that transaction. What I mean by that is, if you go to a fast food joint and you lay down 20 bucks, you expect food in return, right? If you go to um, uh, a pub and you put down a $20 bill, you expect something in return. Whenever there's money involved, it's an exchange. Money for service, product or service. In this case, you have somebody coughing up their, their $10 bill which are getting harder and harder. Have you noticed a $10 bill seems to be getting smaller, at least with the amount of money, it can, the, the things that uh, it can buy? 
Like the, the 20 is the new five. When I was growing up, if you had a $5 bill, man, you had a lot of money. Today, you, to do that, you need a $20 bill. And even then, it's not a lot of money. But they laid out their, their $10 bill. And in return, they were supposed to get the right to vote for the candidate that's, that signed them up. So Mr. Duvall goes out and he finds 1,200 new people for the PC Party of Ontario and convinces them to give him $10, a $10 bill to get their membership card so they can vote, right? Obviously, they want to vote for him. Within a couple of days of the actual nomination meeting, the party disqualifies him. Now, first of all, before I go into why they disqualified him, think about this. If you really care about making sure people are treated honestly and fairly, would it not make sense? Because you have to have a vetting, uh, a vetting process. I get that. You want to make sure that people who carry your banner into the next election, that you know who they are, that they're not going to embarrass the party, and there's a, a party has the right to have that kind of say over who they want carrying that banner. To a degree, like it's still up to the members of the riding. But if the, if the Riding Association is going to have a vetting to make sure that the persons who put their names forward are actually who they say they are, wouldn't you do that at the beginning of the process and not the end? Because if you disqualify somebody within a couple of days of the actual nomination meeting, doesn't it make sense that you're somehow using that individual as nothing more than a cash cow? Because they don't refund the money. Mr. Duvall, the people, the 1,200 people aren't going to get their money back. Now, there have been some who have protested and want their money back, and I don't blame them. I would, too. Because when they signed that, that uh, piece of paper that said, I am now a member of the PC party, for, and for this I pay $10, they expect to get the right to vote. But by throwing out the candidate they were going to go vote for, what they've done, in effect, what Patrick Brown has done, is said, thanks for the cash, now get lost. The, in other words, he's got $12,000 out of Mr. Duvall and his supporters, and they have nothing in exchange. I wonder about the legality of that. Is that not fraud? Is that not false advertising? I'm no lawyer, but it would be interesting to hear a lawyer's opinion on that, wouldn't it? Is Mr. Brown setting himself up for a lawsuit by refusing to allow people to actually vote in elections that, that they, or, you know, these candidate nomination meetings that they paid their money to, if he doesn't refund their money, is that not theft? I'm just throwing this out there. You, you let me know. But, so here, here we've, if you really cared about the people and wanted to make sure they, they felt treated fairly, you'd have the vetting process at the beginning of the process. Like, if I was to run for uh, a candidate in my riding, Okay, and I call up the Riding Association and say, I want to carry the banner. I want to be the guy. I want to be a candidate for um, the Walrus Party. Okay, well, the Walrus Party, if they cared about the people who are part of that party, would say to me, all right, well, we're going to have a phone call, or we're going to sit down with you and find out who you are and what you're all about first before you can go out and sell memberships. Because if, you, if we're going to reject you, we do not want to waste the time or take the money of the people in the riding who would vote for the candidates we do approve. Wouldn't that be a lot more fair? I certainly think so.
And I think it's the kind, it, it would be one of the fundamental changes that Patrick Brown could have made if he cared about the people in his, that would normally vote for the Progressive Conservative Party. But obviously he doesn't care about that. He'd far rather have somebody go through all the effort to go around knocking on doors saying, hi, I'm Joe Blow, and I want to carry the banner in the next, for the PC party in the next provincial election, and I'd like your support. To get it, I have to have a $10 membership from you, and you can vote at this and this time, at this location, for anybody you want to, hopefully me. And they, take, they give him his $10, he gives them their card, it's all taken care of. And then to be rejected two or three days before, that to me is just so fundamentally wrong. Now, this isn't the only problem he's got. Actually, I'll save that for after the break. It's time to take a short little break here on the Nick at Night Show. 343-700-4390. We'll be right back after this. years I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra. Eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make them smile. Welcome back. I think I've got a phone call, so let's take it now. There we go. Hang on there. Good evening. How are you? Who am I talking to? Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Yeah, this is Tom Harris, International Climate Science Coalition. Hey, Tom. How you doing? Uh, not too bad. Um, yeah, Patrick Brown, I think, is a disappointment in a lot of ways. I went to the town hall 
that they held in Stittsville where he was speaking to people a couple of months ago. And, I mean, basically, it was really interesting. I'd been trying for months to get him to answer one simple question. I, you know, corresponded with his staff and, and other members of the leadership and, and also by email. And I simply asked him, does he think that human-produced carbon dioxide is causing dangerous climate change? Because, you know, Patrick Brown is telling us we need to put a price on carbon, as he calls it, really carbon dioxide. And... Um, you know, so really he's telling us that whether we have conservative or liberal government, we're going to be paying uh, some form of cost for carbon dioxide emissions. So it's really kind of like saying you're either going to be hung or shot, like take your choice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I wanted him to tell us, did he really think that we were causing dangerous climate change? And, of course, he wouldn't answer in all the emails and telephone communications. So at the town hall, I basically said, okay, you know, please answer. And I'll tell you, it was amazing, Nick. I had to ask him. 10 times okay the audience were starting to get pretty impatient because after a while he just kept changing the topic and he finally said i don't know so i told him i said well then why do you tell the media the opposite and he said i'm not going to lose the election over climate change so the bottom line is the next day he was on cfra radio on um, that, that show in the afternoon mm -hmm. uh, with solomon and he said the opposite he said we were causing dangerous climate change so basically the policy seems to be to lie and that we're supposed to go along because there's no choice. And, you know, his approach, I think, is very sad and actually raises an interesting question. Would you rather have a true conservative opposition who were standing for things that you felt were real and bringing it up in the House of, in the in Queen's Park? Um, or would you rather have a conservative government that brought in liberal policies so you had nobody? in Queen's Park bringing up what you wanted? That's an interesting question because, you know, if the answer is that you'd rather have somebody bringing it up in uh, Queen's Park, then you'd better hope Patrick Brown loses and they get a better leader. Well, this has been, uh, you know, it's been one of the frustrating things about this is the fact that no matter who you're talking to, they're he rode quite the wave into the office of the, uh, uh, I won't call it the official opposition, I'm not sure what the, t the opposition in Queen's Park, uh, you know, and, and won the by-election to get his seat. But at the same time, ever since then, he's been, one, he's been a disappointment almost on every front. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who like this idea of being more progressive and inclusive, but if that's their tactic, they're going to lose, and they're going to lose big. So to hear this from you isn't surprise. It's disappointing, um, but let's face it, he he just doesn't seem to care about. Uh, well, dare I say the truth? Um, maybe in his own mind he does, but the evidence seems to be stacked against him. I mean, because as you point out, why did he say I don't know on one day, and then yes, I believe that to be true on the next? I mean, did he have an epiphany overnight that all of a sudden it comes to him that says? <laughs> Uh, oh, I guess maybe I do believe this stuff, even though Tom asked me 10 times, I couldn't think of any answer more intelligent than I don't know. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, I mean, I don't know is probably the right answer for him to say, because, indeed, how could he know? I mean, it's a very complicated field, and he has no training in the area. But what he should be saying is, I'll have open discussions with people on both sides. And, you know, I mean, it's an easy political answer. And one thing that he does, and many people do, especially in the United States, well, actually, Trudeau does this all the time. And it sounds trivial at first glance, but they call it carbon pollution. Now, imagine if a person who is championing um, racial equality, you know, you go back to the 60s, 
And let's say there was somebody who was, you know, pushing for equal rights for all races, and and they used the slang terms for different races, the N word for uh, blacks and things like that. I mean, right. that wouldn't make any sense. You know, it would make no sense at all to say I want racial equality, but then using slang terms to refer to people of other races. I mean, that would just be stupid. And that's exactly what's happening here because Patrick Brown, especially Trudeau, um, you know, they call it carbon emissions, and in fact. It was funny because at the beginning of the debate on the recent ratification of the Paris Agreement, I read through Trudeau's speech in the House of Commons, and he called it carbon pollution no less than 20 times in the one speech. Now, that's right out of 1984. I mean, remember they said war is peace. Okay, in other words, they said the opposite of reality because carbon dioxide, of course, is plant food. It's the opposite of pollution, and it's not carbon anyways. It's, it's a gas. Carbon is a solid substance like soot and graphite. So what they're doing is they're calling something that is the stuff of life that's essential for, for all life on the planet, uh, ultimately, you know, the original source. They're calling it pollution. And, of course, then they do polls. They did a poll just a couple of weeks ago, and they asked people if we should be reducing carbon pollution. Well, yeah, of course, most people are going to say yes to any kind of pollution reduction. But, of course, that's a trick, and that's right out of 1984. It's just like saying climate change is real. I mean, yeah, of course it's real, but that's stupid because it's not what the debate's about. And, and that's why I think Patrick Brown and others should take an example from Brad Trost, who's uh, you know running to be leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And here's what he said today in the House of Commons. I have it right in front of me. Right ahead. Canadians are being threatened with, with a tax on carbon dioxide. This carbon dioxide tax will kill jobs, but more importantly, it'll drive up the cost of living for everyone in Canada. Now, that's what he said to the House of Commons, and there was no lightning bolt that came out of this guy and killed him. As far as I know, he's still around. <laughs> so, I mean, that's an easy thing to do that Patrick Brown could do, is start calling it what it really is, because then people will remember their grade five biology where they're actually told that it's plant food. And like, like uh, Trost says, he says, Canadians are being threatened. In fact, it was funny because I watched him on YouTube. Uh, they actually have a video of it. He says, we're being threatened with a tax on carbon dioxide. You know, sort of like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, that's something that we just simply have to expect from our leader of the Conservative Party, uh, not just nationally, but also provincially, that they at least tell the truth about the issue and stop pre pretending that it's pollution. Well, you can't read into a man's mind. You can't say what his intentions are. But looking at the consequences, or the you know the the way that he's been conducting affairs, I think there's a very real danger of driving people away from um, the, the the party in, in Ontario, who most of us would like to see replace the Liberal Party. Because if you were to have an election today, I challenge anybody, and Tom, I'll ask you this question: What's the fundamental difference between the Queen's Park Liberals and the Queen's Park Tories right now? Not much. And in fact, the interesting question is then, who, who should you vote for? I, I, honestly, I think today that a conservative should really consider voting against the conservatives with Patrick Brown as the leader, because I think the only way to get a government in power that's going to actually do conservative things is to either get Patrick Brown to completely change or to replace him. And the only way you can do that is have him lose, and they'll basically realize that, no, you don't win Ontario elections by just being another version of the Liberal Party. Well, that's been this—I'm uh, hearing that sentiment more and more 
uh, every day, and it's it's get it's not that I'm ignoring it, but even if you wanted to, it's, it's, it would be almost impossible to ignore because you see it on Facebook, you see it in social media, you know, when you're talking to friends, and they were considering voting PC. But the more that Patrick Brown looks like a liberal, the less inclined they are. So these people have to find a new home. They have to do something. Um, and even if it's what, at the very least, they're just going to stay home. Well, if they stay home, then yeah. the liberals are going to win again. You realize that under that scenario, Kathleen Wynne could keep her job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and as I say, I think that would be a lesser of two evils in comparison with putting a government in power that pretends to be conservative but isn't, you know, because at least the enemy will be clear. You know, the weird thing is when I've gone to various meetings like that and, and other, a lot of, you know, rank-and-file conservatives say, well, you, who do you want to win? I say I want a, a government to win who will bring in conservative policies. I'm not just interested in electing Patrick Brown. You know, if Patrick Brown's just going to be another liberal, well, tack with her or tack with him. And, and you know, it's interesting because they assume that the base will follow them no matter who's in charge. In fact, he told us at the meeting, I'm not going to campaign in rural ridings, he says, or at least not much. He says, I'm going to look for um, support from liberals in downtown Toronto. You know, so, so in other words, he's just going to tell them what they want to hear and probably do what they want once he gets in. So I would actually rather, you know, I look at the, the federal situation. I was working for Bob Mills as the legislative assistant when they were actually opposing the climate scare. And I was writing his speeches and everything else, and it was great. But then they changed sides, and then they won power. And essentially, they kept the climate scare going. You know, and so the bottom line is we went from having a conservative opposition who were bringing up the problems with the climate scare in the House of Commons to nobody bringing it up because the government was conservative and they were, you know, they forbid their members from bringing it up. And I've been told by some of them inside the party that they were not allowed to bring it up. So Brad Trost is being very brave right now, um, saying the truth, you know, so I'd love to see him win. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. In your memory in the last, well, in going back to the days of opposition, has there ever been a conservative member of the House of Commons stand up and say what Brad Trost said, other than Brad Trost today? Oh, yes, there's been a couple of times at least. Uh, in fact, Bob Mills did it. I mean, he had the, um, you know, when he stood up, the, the filibuster, when he spoke for, I don't know, 18 hours straight or something. Wow. To try to prevent the <laughs> Even I can't talk that long. And he was actually... He, but Bob, Bob Mills actually changed sides, okay? He became part of the, uh, of the ruling elite, so to speak, and he actually supported the climate scare later, and that's one of the reasons I left the position, because I wasn't going to write goofy speeches that were saying things that I thought was stupid. But, um, yeah, he did it, and before him, Preston Manning gave what was probably the best speech ever in the House of Commons on climate change, you know, in 1997. But Preston Manning changed sides, too. You know, they're both now on the side of climate alarmism. And, you know, this is this is terrible. I mean, it's worse than red Tory. It's just simply defection. So, yeah, I, I hope Brad Trost sets an example. And as I say, he said it today. He said carbon dioxide tax. And I know people think that might be trivial. And when I've spoken to media about it, they just brush it off. But it's true. I mean, if you're campaigning for something, you don't use words that damage your own cause. So, yes, if people stop, we do it all the time. I mean, our side, carbon tax, it's quick. But then it's also quick to use a two-syllable word for black people than it is to call them African-Americans or whatever, okay? But we don't do it because it would defeat our own cause where we want to have racial equality. And similarly here, carbon dioxide, that's, you know, longer than carbon. 
But still, you can't support the enemy by using their language, and that's what we almost always do. Yeah, you could, it's called intellectual laziness, and that's uh, as big an enemy as anything else is because if you engage in that, you throw a lot of babies out the window with the bathwater. Oh, yeah, and then when they do polls on it and they ask people, should we reduce carbon pollution, which is going even farther, then, of course, most people say yes because they don't even realize it's not pollution. So, yeah, you have to be careful. Language is a, is a weapon of war. I mean, it's very important, and people are ignorantly uh, using the language of David Suzuki, even when they're supposedly opposing David Suzuki. Like, talk about dumb. So hooray for Brad Trost. Great well, job. Super right. duper. Well, listen, thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate your call. Thank you. Okay, thanks. All right. Now, that was um, that was a great call, and I hope you paid attention th uh, through that because I'll tell you what, uh, it was one of those one of those uh, conversations that I don't get to have very often because, first of all, to hear about a politician who's actually got the courage to speak the truth in the House of Commons uh, and pin his political future to it, because Brad is. Um, running for the federal provincial uh, federal um, leadership for the Conservative Party of Canada, you know, he's up against um, a lot of um, uh, competition, shall we say. And I will say this, with the exception of perhaps one or two, every single one of those people running for that position would make a better prime minister than the one we have right now. All right, with that, when I get back, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. There's stuff going on in Ottawa I want to tell you about that has much wider... Um, ramifications. Uh, the police department and uh, a group called the National Council of Canadian Muslims are hugging and kissing and all that sort of stuff and you'd think they'd know better but it doesn't look like they do. So with that we'll take a break and we'll be back with more right after this. Timo's 2000 Mobile Auto Cleaning comes right to your driveway and makes your vehicle look brand new again. Classic cars, bikes, boats, RVs, dump trucks, hot rods, tractors, transport trucks. We can even make your minivan look like the day you drove it off the lot. Did you spill too much coffee on your seat? Did Junior decide he couldn't wait till he got home? And yuck, maybe you're just long overdue for that meticulous cleaning. Maybe you want to sell the old beast. Smartest thing you can do is make it look brand new again. Timo's 2000, 613-327-8498, 613-327-8498, or go to timos2000.com.
Okay. <clears throat> Thanks for staying with us, folks. The numbers again are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. You can send me a note to nick at late night late night late night council.com i gotta put my false teeth back in they work better all right now switching gears like i said before um there's an issue going on right here in ottawa that i think is pretty widespread uh, it's not unique to ottawa um, durham region has had a problem with this just as i think just as one example and because of the nature of the beast, I have a feeling a lot of this is going on in a lot of Canadian cities and some of the larger towns and so forth, uh, where in our haste not to offend anybody, in our haste to be uh, inclusive and diverse and all the affirmative action garbage that we've been fed for the last 40 years, you know, there, there seems to be, that's the only thing that matters is, you know, how diverse we are, never mind the best best person for the job oh no we can't have merit let's be diverse even though that's diverse is worse hey there there you go there's a slogan for you all right barbara k writes in the national post and uh, let's see that was uh november 30th so that was about one or two days ago she's talking about uh, ottawa here and she says crime prevention ottawa let me just share with you a little of this uh, was founded in 2004 to develop strategies for enhancing community safety, addressing problems like violence against women, neighborhood gangs, abuse of the disabled, and hate crimes. Between January and November of this year, according to Staff Sergeant Dave Zac Zacharias of the Diversity Race Relations Unit, or the DRR, sounds so communistic, of the Ottawa Police Service, there have been 64 reported hate incidents targeting blacks, LGBT, Jews, and Muslims. The majority were mischief, mostly graffiti, offensive words and symbols, or harassment, shouted, or internet hate speech. Notably, there were very few reports of two or more people engaged in verbal confrontation. There were two cases of physical assault. Altogether, hate crimes constituted a virtually violence-free 0.02% of all Ottawa police-reported crimes. Now, let me stop there for a minute. That's a real issue we have to deal with right now, right? Uh... Well, no, I think there's bigger fish to fry. I'm not saying that hate crimes or things like that are insignificant uh, and shouldn't be paid attention to, but in the greater scheme of things, they don't require uh, the kind of resources, I think, that are being directed at them. Anyway, I digress. On June 15th, uh, <coughs> Crime Prevention Ottawa organized a public education program called Why Faith-Based Crime Prevention Matters, with a panel of two Christians and one Muslim, no Jewish rep representation, even though Jews, one-third as numerous as Muslims in Canada, are eight times more likely to be targets of faith-related hate crimes. The Muslim panelist was Imam Ziad Delik, a poor choice. Delik's scheduled 2010 appearance at the Department of National Defense for an Islamic-related event was cancelled by the Harper government owing to his Islamic Islamist affiliations. As national helmsman for the Canadian Islamic, Islamic Congress, Delic oversaw a 2007 Montreal speaking invitation to Taliban apologist Yvonne Ridley. Uh, Barbara Kay says, I was there. She boasted of her collaboration with Hezbollah. Delic was provided leadership to the CIC's Sharia lobby, as well as supporting the organization of Islamic Conference's speech-chilling blasphemy initiative to, crim to criminalize the criticism of Islam. 
In the CPO's first mass mailing November 10th regarding their second event last Friday, addressing hate crimes creating a safe city for all, there was no Jewish representation noted, only black, LGBT, and Muslim, the latter in the person of Amira Elhagaway. I'm not butchering this name, and I don't mean to. Elgawahabi, Communications Director of NCCM, or CareCan. Now, NCCM is the National um, Council for Canadian Muslims, which used to be called CareCan. But under CareCan, they're closely tied to CARE, which had all kinds of problems. They were uh, linked to terrorist organizations. They were a very um, unfriendly bunch. So CareCan was an extension of that. And they took so much flack over uh, their name, CareCan, and who they were associated to. They thought a simple name change a few years ago to the National Council of Canadian Muslims um, uh, would shed them of this unnicety or lack of civility aimed in their direction because they were supporting terrorism. I use both her organizations, then going back to the article now, I use both her organizations, old and new acronyms, together to remind readers that the National Council of Canadian Muslim Muslims is a 2003 cosmet- 2013 cosmetic name change only from the previous handle, CareCan. Court documents identified CareCan as a Canadian chapter of the U.S. Islamist organization CARE, the latter linked by the FBI to the Muslim Brotherhood, created... Uh, created Hamas support network in the U.S. and still considered unsuitable by them as an appropriate liaison partner for any government to outreach, for any government outreach. Okay, so she goes on to make the greater point, but the bottom line is these are the kind of people that the Ottawa police force, do they not do due diligence? Do they not know who's talking? Look, I, there's there's some uh, video footage of this um, but the audio is not quite good enough. I can't play it on the air, or I would let you listen to it for yourself. But the police, uh, the police um, officer who makes up this um, this l- tiny little department, the hate crimes department, gets up and one of the first things he says, and I'm, I've heard this a number of times now in recent video clips I've seen, whether it was um, uh, down in the University of Toronto with the um, free speech conference, which was a total farce, but the dean got up at that function and said, I can I concede that I am standing on unceded, in other words, unsurrendered Algonquin territory. And I thought, well, that's a stupid thing to say, but I never paid it any more attention. And then I listened to it again on the video clip, and I heard it again. And I've noticed that three or four different times throughout public addresses now where these meetings take place, where the speakers seem almost tripping over themselves to make this comment. So I got talking to a couple of friends of mine earlier today about this, and they said, yeah, that's right, that, that's communism, that's Marxism. That's, what that really is is an attempt to undermine the idea of owning private property. That's what that's all about. That's why they say it. Because, look, I'm not going to get into the whole native issues thing and land claims and so on, but it's not unceded Algonquin territory. We don't have anything to apologize for. Okay, the land you stand on, if you own it, you own it outright. You have a land grant patent, you own it. So why these guys are doing it, the only thing that makes sense is they're nibbling away at this idea of private property. Because if it's unceded Algonquin land, how could it be yours? And if it's not yours, you can't possibly control it. So I just, that's an aside. But this guy gets up and he starts praising 
this group, NCCM. Now, look, one of the things, this guy's standing there in full uniform, okay? He's not just in civilian clothes. He's standing there as a representative of the city of Ottawa's police force, praising an organization with links to Hamas. Doesn't anybody say, who are these people? Doesn't anybody come out and say, wait a minute, who are we getting into bed with here? Doesn't anybody ever ask the question, how does this, you know, how does this move any agenda forward? Why would we want anything to do with an organization that has anything to do with this level of extremism? I just don't understand this. This is outrageous on its face. Why should any organization be allowed standing in a public forum? First of all, as Barbara Kay points out, what's the point of the, co of the conference in the first place? 0.02% of all crimes committed in the city of Ottawa fall into this category. That's not 2%. That's two one-hundredths of a percent. That's two one-hundredths of a percent. And yet they have to have, bring in all these speakers. Who knows how much this costs the taxpayer? And if it's happening in Ottawa, where else is it happening? And why is it happening? Could it be that the Muslim Brotherhood is behind the scenes here pulling strings and manipulating people and circumstances to, get, to win favor for this whole idea of um, trying to pass laws that make it illegal to stand up and criticize Sharia law? Now they put it under the under the they put it under the auspices of protecting all religion from hate hate speech. Well, first of all, look, as an Orthodox Catholic, I see more I see a lot of junk out there that attacks my faith and my religion. You know what? I don't do anything about it. Why not? First of all, I've got a thick skin. Secondly, what am I going to do about it? You know, am I going to hunt down whoever did it and kill them? Of course not. Because the, one of the things about living in a democracy is the ability to have the, the freedom to be able to say what you want, even if it offends somebody else. Now, I don't go around intentionally being offensive. That's not my style. I do believe in saying what's on my mind, and if other people find that offensive, then it, that's their circus, that's their monkeys, that's their problem. Because I don't do it intentionally to be offensive or in, inflammatory. I just state what I believe to be the truth, and if somebody else has a problem with it, that's not my fault. So when other people take the same tack, I feel sad. I'm sorry that it, they feel that way. But, you know, that there's been... Art exhibits centered around the desecration of the Catholic faith. There are how many Jews have suffered the same thing? I mean, you know, and at the same time. So what I'm driving at is they may put this under the umbrella of protecting all religions, but the only religion they're really interested in protecting is Islam. That's all that this is about. This is just another way of shutting people up who are uncomfortable with Sharia law and don't want it imposed on them by either force or writ of law. That's what this is about. That's what's driving this whole thing. All right, we'll take a little break.
When we get back, we'll have more right after this on the Nick at Night Show here on the Late Night Council Show. Often hear about the supposed dangers of human-induced climate change, but what about the disastrous consequences of climate policy? For example, the closing of Ontario's coal stations was the single most important cause of the 318% rise in power rates since 2002. Thousands of industrial wind turbines are being erected across the province, killing birds and bats and ruining the lives of people living nearby. The expanded use of biofuels has led to 6.5% of the world's grain going to fuel instead of food. Only 6% of the $1 billion spent every day on climate finance goes to helping people today. The rest is dedicated to trying to stop climate change that may someday happen. Yet the reports of the non-governmental International Panel on Climate Change show that the science backing the climate scare is highly uncertain. Isn't it time we focused on problems we know to be real? This message is brought to you by ClimateScienceInternational.org. I'm going to go back to the phones, but before I do, when I bring on a caller, or if you, if you call in, just when I, when I bring you on, uh, all I need to know is your first name and where you're calling from, okay? Just so that everybody's clear on the procedure. It's really easy. has to be because I'm involved in it. Okay, so let's go to this caller. Hang on. Uh, hello. Who am I talking to? Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Hi, Nick. It's Joel down in Williamsburg. Hi, Joel. How's, how are you doing today, Nick? Um, uh, I, I kind of feel like a one-legged soccer player. I don't know whether I should kick or run, and I'm not smart enough to know that neither one's an option. Just dive and try <laughs> to get a penalty. Hey, there you go. <laughs> what can I do for you this evening? <laughs> well, Nick, I, uh, with the uh, Islamic influence coming into not just Canada, it's, it's a Western... Um, phenomena right now mm -hmm. the the left in politics seem to have taken this approach of name calling 
belittling, um, trying to get any actual debate that people like yourself, I'm sure people, if they were of the left persuasion right now, would just you questioning it, what's going on in Ottawa would make you a bigot. Oh, absolutely. No question about that, yeah. And they, they won't engage in any kind of rational debate. When the refugees were coming to Canada, there's absolutely nobody on the right side of the spectrum that thinks that bringing truly needy people through proper channels with proper screening is a bad thing. That's right, yeah. What we do question is, are those proper questions? Is the background checks being done properly? How are those background checks being done when a lot of these people have been told to burn their passports, to burn all their documents, and then we're being told just blindly to accept this because the government told us to do that? Yeah, that's a... The left has... Sorry. Go ahead. The left has missed out on the fact that Donald Trump in the States, and I know we don't want to bring him up, but he won an election because silencing debate does not silence people's feelings. It just silences their comments in public. And then they go into a ballot box and they vote in somebody like Donald Trump. They, We need to get back to a society where I think you all agree when you were a younger person, like them or dislike them, the liberals or the Democrats in the States actually stood for something. We may not have agreed with them, but they stood for what they believed. Now all that we have is pandering. And what's happening in Ottawa just, to me, seems like pandering. Well, what we have, you're quite right, there was a time in our history in both countries where right and left clearly had their own ground, and they would stand on those on that ground and have a debate about which way was best for the country to go forward. But there was never any debate about whether or not the country should, in fact, go forward or not, or whether the you know the person on the other side of the bench, on the other side of the aisle, was um, you know patriotic or believed in in the country as a whole. It was only a question about the direction the country should go in. Today. We have people talking about transnationalism, where borders have to be pulled down and, and surrender our sovereignty. And you've got them in the States, just like we have them up here. Our prime minister is one of them, uh, who think that we should surrender our sovereignty to the UN. And somehow that's going to make everything better. I mean, I don't know what kind of drapes he's smoking, but that's the most asinine, insane thing I think I've ever heard. So when you look at what the, de- the debate, if you can call it that, part of the reason why you can't find it's hard I won't say it's impossible, but it's hard to find someone who claims ground on the left to have an intelligent conversation that lasts longer than 90 seconds before they fall into the trap of, oh, you're just a hater, or you're just a this, or you're just a that. And I think the reason is because they don't have anywhere to go. They're low-information people. They run on emotion. And when they run out of you know, little sound bites that they've heard on TV to say, they don't know what else to do, so all they do is resort to name-calling and mudslinging. Yeah, it's, it's sad that it's come to that, honestly, Nick. I, I thank you for your time, and I thank you for your show, Nick. And I thank you for your call. Thanks a lot. All right, have a good night. You too. Bye. All right. There we go. Yeah, that's... it's. He's right. It's sad that it's come to that, because... <sighs> 
I, you know what? I, I really enjoy conversations um, that challenge me in what I believe. I think those are healthy. First of all, there is no manifestation of life on this planet that would see everybody agree with me. Even though I'm right, <laughs> even though it's my lifelong goal to convince everyone that I'm right on every issue all the time, obviously that's not going to happen. People see the world from different points of view, and that's normal and that's healthy. There's nothing wrong with that. But when people can engage from a logical point of view about who they are, what they stand for, where they come from, and what they believe in, and they simply resort to name-calling, uh, you're a this or you're a that kind of nonsense, you know, you just you have to shake your head and go, where does this come from? And I think a lot of it, there's, there's a lot of different things you could point to. The intentional dumbing down of the education system. Uh, you've got, uh, recently in, in the city of Toronto was an example, the whole um, Jordan Peterson case where he refused, absolutely refused to, uh, and I applaud him for that, uh, to use all these different pronouns to describe e a, either a man or a woman. You're either a him or a her. And they said, no, no, we have 51 different choices. And if you don't, you don't like it, you're, you're a bigot, you're a hater, and you've probably broken human rights code. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? How have we gotten to this point? So I'm certainly, I agree with the caller from, uh, uh, the caller that we have issues here. And it's, a lot of it is centered around the intentional undermining of our institutions. And it's really scary when you hear that kind of stuff come up because, boy, there's, you know what, when, when I see stuff like this, the thing that occurs to me is it's so unnecessary. It is absolutely unnecessary. Take, take the climate as an example. All these people running around. There's a guy on Facebook. Uh, his first name's Lou. I'm not going to mention his last name. I don't want to, you know, I'm not intensely trying to embarrass him, but... Uh, there was a conversation about, uh, there's a, as a matter of fact, I've got the story, I'll bring it up a little bit later, maybe after the top of the hour, where um, I have a, a con contributor to my Facebook page say that, uh, you know, forget electric cars. You know, internal combustion engines going to be the main driver of our transportation system for a mighty long time. And he goes through a whole bunch of reasons why that's true. Well, this guy, Lou, thought it was, oh, my God, it's terrible news. We have to put an end to all of that nonsense. We've got to get off oil. Well, I wonder if he ever thought about what that would mean. If he got his way, what would it mean? Do you know how many people would die if we got off oil? If he got what he wanted, and we were, let's say, over the next five years, we weeded ourselves off oil the disaster that would be in our not all, not just from a cultural point of view but from a societal point of view from we're talking about the collapse of the medical system the transportation system you name ever any system you want to think of food and food and, and uh, things like that how do you think it's possible that we can take the ground we have and be as productive with it as we are without fossil fuel we can't in 1900, the average yield for a field of corn was 20 bushels to the acre. Today, it's 200. Why? Because we have the ability, several reasons. One, because of, of um, uh, crossbreeding and we, we can manipulate the plant to produce more corn. 
we're given you know a bigger ear on each stock that certainly helps we also cover more ground faster that's the biggest reason because of mechanization of the farming business instead of using you know the old gray mare in a one bottom plow to prepare the field now we we have 300 horsepower tractors that pull 10 or 12 bottoms at a time or 10 or 10 or 12 plows at a time and can do acres an hour when it might take a farmer you know a whole week to do 40 acres 100 years ago that's the real, that's the big reason, and it's all because of diesel fuel. It's all because we switched from horsepower, the physical kind, to horsepower, the chemical kind, otherwise known as fossil fuel. So it's just one of these deals that I don't think people actually think things through. They seem to think that there's somehow this magic ability. They forget that the, the lifestyle they live, like where I'm sitting right now in this studio, None of this is possible without crude oil. It just wouldn't work. Where would the lights come from? Where would the power for the lights come from? Where would the plastic and you know the, uh, all the stuff that makes everything? I'm um, sitting here with headphones wired to a to a mixing board. Well, where would the wire come from? Where would the pl the rubber to cover it, or the, the the plastic, the soft plastic to cover it? You know, where would the microphone come from? The chair I'm sitting on. You know, you can't do that. Yes, you could make some of that out of wood, like you could make a wooden chair, and that would work. But the technology required to do what we're doing all is based on the previous advances in technology, all fueled by fossil fuel. We can't get rid of it. We shouldn't get rid of it. We won't get rid of it, no matter what these people say. And it's unfortunate that for some reason they have a hate on for technology. They have a hate on for for progress in a real physical sense, not being progressive, but you know, taking technology and advancing it to make our lives better. They have a hate on for that, and I frankly am just lost as to why. All right, we'll take another break. When we come back, we'll have more on the Nick at Night Show right after this. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile.
habitations in the towns we know A place we saw the lights turn low The jigsaw jazz in the get fresh flow Pulling out jobs and jamboree handouts Two turntables and a microphone Bottles and cans and just clap your hands Or just clap your hands Where's that? Okay, thanks for staying with us, folks. Hour two straight ahead. Let me see. Let me go to my little list here because there's all kinds of things to talk about. Let me do this. Um, I will no. Let me finish up with that. Okay. I'm. I know you have no idea what I'm talking to myself about, but I have a little list I'm going by. So let's do this. No, it's not that one. <sighs> Frustrating. Really. Is it that one? Yes, here it is. Okay, I was talking about electric cars. Let me just share with you. Now, the gentleman Bob, I refer to him all the time as Bob. I should start calling him Dr. Bob because he's the doctor of common sense, logic, and reason. And uh, he is, um, I won't say he's a statistician, but he's very, very good at coalescing information and putting it into plain English that anybody can understand with all the facts to back it up. Um, I know he's, his postings um, have spurred a lot of conversation, but to the best of my knowledge, no one's ever been able to poke a hole in his argument. So let me share with you just some of his thoughts about um, this whole electric car thing, because first of all, we're talking Canada. Electric cars, really? Good luck with that, but here we go. Okay, the effect of these trends, I'm jumping a little bit down just to talk about uh, um, because he sets the stage by with the opening paragraph that says, those who believe that humans are causing catastrophic global warming often claim that the world soon will not need oil as a transportation fuel because reduced vehicle ownership and the emergence of all electric plug-in vehicles, or EVs, will spell the end of the internal combustion engine. The effect of these trends on motor vehicle sales are owner and ownership is demonstrated in, in the statistics published by the International Organization Organization of Motor Vehicle Manufacturers. Here are the highlights of the report. Personal vehicle use, or PV, uh, including all cars and SUVs, increased from 654 million to 907 million, or 39% globally. And that's from 2005 to 2014. The increase occurred in all regions, but the largest change was in, the, in, in Asia, Oceania, and the Middle East region, where personal vehicle ownership all use uh, more than doubled from 157 to 318 million. You know, that's a good sign, by the way. That is a very good sign. For those who want to reduce poverty, can you think of something that says, I've, I'm getting out of, out of poverty more than the ability to own your own car? Because what does that take? It takes money. It takes a lifestyle. It takes a good job. It takes, you know, it, it, let's face it, people who live in third world countries with no running water don't own cars. It's not that they don't want to own cars. They don't have the financial resources to. So when you look at the regions he's talking about, they doubled the amount of purse privately owned vehicles from 157 to 318 million. 
That's got to be good economic news. You'd think people who care about the poor in the world would be ecstatic over that. All road vehicles in use, including passenger vehicles and commercial vehicles like trucks and buses, increased from 893 million to 1.236 million, or an increase of 38%. Again, the largest part of that increase was in Asia, Oceania, and the Middle East. New sales of all road vehicles dropped sharply in North America following the, following the financial crisis, but are now up to their pre-crisis level of 20 million per year. Global new vehicle sales went from 66 million in 2005 to 88 million in 2014. While reliable data on electric vehicle ownership and sales is not readily available, according to the statistics portal and clean... Oh, there's a little glitch. Just in case you're wondering what's going on, my computer has the ability to fold part of the page over on itself, so I can't quite catch the end of that word. Portal and clean... Anyway, from Statistics Portal, there were 405,000 electric, vehicle, electric vehicles in use in 214, and the sales that year were about 300,000. In 2014, the electric vehicle share of new vehicle sales worldwide was 0.3%. In 2015, it probably rose half of 1% of that. Environmentalists claim that to, to attain their emission reduction goals, all electric vehicles must... All electric vehicles must constitute 60% of new vehicle sales by 2040, only 24 years from now. To reach 60% of today's private vehicle sales, uh, EV sales would have to increase to 120 times today's level. Given the potential for further growth in on-road vehicle sales in the future, there's virtually no chance that EV sales will constitute 6% of all vehicle sales in 60% of all vehicle sales in 2040. In other words, electric vehicle sales is a pipe dream. It is absolutely not going to happen. There is no way that we're going to ever be able to replace the gasoline-powered engine unless there is some kind of unforeseen um, technological battery breakthrough that we don't know about right now. Uh, that's possible. There's always the, the opportunity for uh, innovation to somehow come out of nowhere and just be a real game changer. If that happens, okay, that might change things. But in the, the way things stand now, with what we know now, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. How people think that it will is just another one of these things I can't understand. I just don't get. Now, uh, there is, we haven't talked about the Boy King yet, at least not in any, not in any real significant way, but he is apparently considering breaking another promise. You see, I was talking, again, over the week I tried to stay in touch with, with uh, a lot of you uh, on Facebook, and a lot of people disagree with me obviously because he got elected, that uh, the boy king is somehow wonderful and, and just great and just a, a fantastic uh, prime minister. Uh, I tend to have a somewhat dimmer view of him. And he was, on one hand this week, well, first of all, before I get to this, let me deal with this whole Castro fiasco. Fidel Castro was a dictator. He was a thug, he was a murderer, he was a communist, an unapologetic one, and ruled that country longer, I think he lived through 11 presidencies, 
three popes or something like that. And the only head of a nation or head of, uh, of an organization like that um, is Queen Elizabeth, who's lasted longer than he has, Queen Elizabeth II. And yet our glorious leader heaped praise on him while the rest of the world was glad he was gone. What is it about this prime minister that he doesn't seem to understand that praising China is a bad idea because it is a dictatorship and praising dicta uh, recently passed away communist dictators is not a good idea because most of the world gets it. Do you realize that communist slash socialist countries are responsible for the deaths of 100 million people in the last century? When you add up guys like Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, Castro, uh, Kim Jong-il Kim Jong and Un and all the Kim Jong family, when you add them all up, you come up with about 100 million people that are now dead because, directly because of communism slash socialism. And he thinks that heaping praise on a Cuban dictator. Ask yourself, did, you, did, it, did it ever occur to him that Cuba had an emigration problem, not an immigration problem? And for those of you who didn't pick up the difference, let me restate it. Cuba had a problem keeping people on the island. It didn't have a problem attracting people to it. Who the heck would want to live in Cuba? I mean, Canadians seem to have... One of the things that drives me crazy about a lot of my fellow Canadians is they go vacationing in Cuba because it's warm and it's cheap. You realize who you're supporting. You realize what you're doing. You wonder why the U.S. embargo didn't work was because they were the only ones who really took it seriously. There's only two things that kept Castro alive that long. Number one was cheap Venezuelan crude oil and, number, and money from Russia. So three things, actually and tourism from everywhere but the United States. It's like nobody cared. The man was a brutal dictator. And here's our boy king going, Oh, Fidel. Oh, Fidel. I feel the loss of the Cuban people. Oh, Fidel. And then, of course, there is a protest, or not a protest, but a rally by students and academics uh, in Cuba over the loss of the glorious leader. Well, that's not hard to believe. These kids are 19, 20 years old. The academics are old school communists. Why wouldn't they go and march? They've known they've, they've never known anything else. Uh, you know, they don't know what it is uh, to live in an open and free society. So when all the only news you ever get, it's like if you listen to the CBC continuously and don't have any other source for information, is it any wonder that you think that people like Stephen Harper are evil? You know, is it any wonder that anything conservative must be bad? They just, it's the only message they ever put out. And if it's your only source, you soon forget any common sense logic or reason you had. It all goes out the window. So here we have our glorious leader sticking his foot in his mouth, not just, you know, toes in first, but right up to the kneecap and embarrassing us in a way I didn't think any Canadian leader ever would. We had everybody laughing at us. The Americans were laughing at us. You name it, they were laughing at us because they understood what the boy king didn't seem to get. 
you don't heap praises on a dictator. You just don't. At the very, you know, the smartest thing he could have done was just shut up. Just don't say anything. Just it, it, sometimes saying nothing is the best thing you can do. And in this case, it would have been better than what he said. All right, when we get back, I'll tell you about the other thing that's happening or appears to be happening. Uh, and if you are a Trudeau supporter, you might not like what I have to say, but it's not me saying it, so don't shoot the messenger. We'll be right back with more after this. Timo's 2000 Mobile Auto Cleaning comes right to your driveway and makes your vehicle look brand new again. Classic cars, bikes, boats, RVs, dump trucks, hot rods, tractors, transport trucks. We can even make your minivan look like the day you drove it off the lot. Did you spill too much coffee on your seat? Did Junior decide he couldn't wait till he got home? And yuck, maybe you're just long overdue for that meticulous cleaning. Maybe you want to sell the old beast. Smartest thing you can do is make it look brand new again. Timo's 2000, 613-327-8498, 613-327-8498, or go to timos2000.com. Three four three seven zero zero four three nine zero eight four four five six two four seven six six. Nick at LateNightCouncil.com is the email address if you've got anything you want to add to the at the freight. Remember, this show is just as much yours as it is mine. If you don't want to listen to me prattle on for two hours, pick up the phone and call. I'm more than interested in, in hearing what you have to say. Even if you disagree with me, that's okay. I got a thick skin and a thicker head. You know the old saying about Dutchman, wooden shoes, wooden head, wouldn't listen. Well, I'm a little bit different. I will listen. <laughs> but wooden And I don't have any wooden shoes either. Hmm. I got tired of splinters, I guess. Anyhow, um, going back to our, our uh, great Canadian mistake. Uh, I mean, our, our great Canadian champion, um, 
the boy King Trudeau. <laughs> if you were a supporter of his, and part of the reason you supported him was because you thought the electoral system was bad and that we had to have reform because you were sick and tired of Harper and you didn't like all the terrible things he was doing, that evil man. Well, Justin was your guy because he spent nearly the whole campaign stumping around saying we're going to change and we're not going to have any more of this nonsense first past the post doesn't work we can't have this oh no good lord no 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 forget that it's not going to happen we're going to wait a minute maybe this isn't so bad because i won with the majority and maybe um maybe people are satisfied now with the government and they don't really want to change anymore i'm summarizing in our story which i'll dig into now it's out of the ottawa sun today i think written by mark bonikowski during the federal election campaign, Justin Trudeau promised the 2015 vote would be the last determined by the first-past-the-post voting system if he were elected prime minister. He never mentioned backtracking on this. He never mentioned wide-ranging public consultations. He never mentioned striking a special committee to determine consensus. And he nixed any democratic notion of holding a referendum. Once p.m., he would hold the hammer. Well... Holding the hammer is one thing. <laughs> Knowing what to do with it. <laughs> I just watched the movie. There's a, just a quick image popped into my head. I'll share with you. I watched the movie Doctor Strange. It's the latest Marvel movie, and it's uh, it's a comic book movie. But actually, it, it, it was not really rather interesting. And it starred um, Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. And I don't want to give the movie away, although it's not really thick on plot, but... There's one scene where he's having a fight with the bat with one of the bad guys, and he grabs this ancient relic and he goes aha, and his opponent stops, and he looks at him, and he says, "You don't know how to use that, do you?" And Cumberbatch's character, Doctor Strange, went no, <laughs> and that's when I, when I I see the prime minister standing there with a hammer in his hand, looking at it, going, "So what do I do with this?" <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> so, yeah. Once he once PM, he would hold the hammer. Now somebody else will hold the nail. <laughs> All right. First past the post would be dead as a doornail. Electoral reform would be Trudeau's gift to the people, and he stumped the stuffing out of it and dropped bite-sized hints that he preferred a ranked ballot system. Then, after the stumping was over. Trudeau found himself not only getting elected prime minister, but elected with an overwhelming majority in the House of Commons. Suddenly, first past the post didn't look quite so rigged. Suddenly, electoral reform didn't look, didn't look quite so vital. We saw this coming, of course, a year after he was elected. The prime minister told Le Devoir that the country's embrace of his leadership had diminished the public's desire for change. They love me. Oh, oh, how can we want to change the system where they love me? <laughs> oh, man, I'm having, I'm having too much fun with this. Okay. Under Stephen Harper, there were so many people dissatisfied with the government that they were saying, we need electoral reform so we can no longer have a government we don't like. However, under the current system, they now have a government they are more satisfied with and motivation to want change of the electoral uh, system is less urgent. Is this guy full of himself or what? I mean... <laughs> You know, people laughed at Trump when he said 
if the election doesn't go my way, I'm not accepting the results. And everybody laughed and mocked him, right? Laughed at him and mocked him. Until, of course, he won. But how is this any different? When there's a threat of him not winning, or winning with a small minority, all of a sudden he wants to change the way people vote so that he wins next time. But when he does win and win big, oh, hey, I kind of like this. Maybe I don't need to change it so bad. It reminds me, I'm going back to the article now, it reminded me of the cynical Salafi, of, it reminded the more cynical of Sally Field's much parodied speech after winning the Academy Award in 1984 when she said, I haven't had an orthodox career and I've wanted more than anything else to have your respect. The first time I didn't feel it, but this time I feel it. And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Right now, you like me. So, to transplant that over to our glorious leader, the boy king, I just want to be liked. I just, I just want to be liked. Can't, can't anybody like me? I, can I get a hug? <laughs> this is, you know what this is? This is 40 years of infantile pap being fed into our education system, and this is the best we can come up with. There's a video clip somewhere on YouTube that I've seen, YouTube or Facebook or someplace, of this girl at a protest. And she's standing in front of this, there's a line of riot police, and I'll admit the, the cop is a big guy. He's got a beard and he's got, you know, he's got a flat tie. So he looks even bigger, but he's a big guy. And she takes this, you know those long balloons you can make puppies out of and all that, the clowns will twist them into different animal shapes. She's got one. And it's, I don't know, about two feet long, I guess, about an inch around. And she takes it, and she, she's batting him with it. And he doesn't do anything. All he does, he just lifts his left hand and bats it away. She collapses in hysterics and has to be consoled. Now, there is a chance, and it's hard to tell, because the kind of infantile behavior is so hard to see through that I don't know whether she was acting or not. Because tragically, I'm beginning to believe there's a lot of kids who are that frail. But she collapsed in hysterics and had to have people console her because the cop was mean. All the cop did was bat her balloon away. That's the... Ugh. Oh, my. I just... And this is the kind of thing that we're, we have. There's another example of the, maybe not quite like that, but there's another example of the empty-headedness that poses for higher education these days. Um, what was the kid's name? She was from St. Anne's High School, Catholic High School in Windsor. She was a he, she was a she posing as a he who wanted to be identified as a he and was up at the, U of T, up at the University of Toronto snuggle puppy or something like that. She wore a yellow hat and there's a video video footage, footage at one of Jordan, Jordan Peterson's uh, public consultations, let's call it that, um, where um, somebody took umbrage at a reporter's question and this kid reached out and attacked the cameraman. And you can see it all on TV. Like They've got footage of it. You watch, she's standing, this snuggle puppy is standing behind the person who lashed out, knocked the, knocked the camera, hit the cameraman, committed an act of assault. 
The cops show up, and this little twerp walks up and says, Constable, I didn't see anything. Nothing happened. And she's got this grin on her face. You just want to take her and just grab her by the ears and shake that smile right off her face because you know she's lying, she knows she's lying, and she doesn't care. Now, later on, she got arrested for stealing a, a, a cell phone being used as a camera, running away with it and smashing it. So she got arrested for theft and, and destruction of private property, which I think was, <laughs> it might be the best thing ever happened to her. I don't know. But it was just, I watched that and I thought, these are the kids that are going to be leading us down the road. These are the ones who want 51 different um, pronouns. So anyway, this is what happens. Um, this is what happens when the education system is left pretty much unchecked when you have people who are writing policy and writing curriculum based on emotion instead of sound principles, instead of insisting that kids have to reach a certain standard, instead of, rather they lower the bar so that no matter who you are, you can step over it. And if you can't step over it, they'll grab you over by the arms and lift you over it to make sure that you pass. Now, why would they do that? They do it First of all, because there's money involved. The higher the education, the higher the graduation rates for, let's say, university, the better the university looks when you look at statistics and parents and kids are trying to choose what school to go to. Well, somebody's got a higher graduation rate, they must have better teachers, right? Either that or they have lower standards, but that part never crosses their mind. So getting back to Trudeau, and they have and this whole electoral reform. Actually, I find this piece good news. And the reason I find it good news is it means that there's what we were all afraid of was he was actually going to um, honestly change the electoral, electoral system the way that it is that served us so well for 149 years uh, and counting, actually longer than that. You know, for the last couple of hundred years, this has worked just fine. Um, and people have had their say, and it avoids things like tyranny of the minority and so on. But so there's a good chance he's not going to do this. He's going to break another promise. And for once, I applaud him for it. This is a promise he should break. Anyway, let me just finish up this article. Uh, let's see. Federal politicians, both in the conservative and the NDP ranks, have argued from the outset the, that the electoral reform can have no legitimacy in Canada without first having a referendum. And on that score, they're both right. Post-media editorialists have argued the same, citing PEI's recent plebiscite proving that voters in the birthplace of Confederation wanted nothing to do with changing the provincial first-past-the-post system and stayed away in droves just to prove it. Like her boss, Democratic Institutions Minister Mariam Monsef, you know the minister that should resign because she's found to be less than truthful with immigration officials, but she won't resign because there's two sets of laws, one for liberals and one for everybody else. Remember her? Yeah, I remember her too. Although I recognize a referendum is one way of seeking charity of Cana char clarity for Canadians, this is her speaking, I remain to be convinced that it is the best way. Referenda do not easily lend themselves to effectively deciding complex issues, unless, of course, it's keeping the country together. Remember the Quebec referendum? Seemed to work there. Even Quebec and the rest of Canada have largely kissed and made up since that squeaker in 95, the one I was just referring to. The Liberals have stepped out, 
stepped in front of the fan, and they know it. And they have only their leader to blame. Yep. Well, like I said, if you're a Trudeau fan, you asked for it. You got it. We'll be right back after this with more. about the supposed dangers of human-induced climate change. But what about the disastrous consequences of climate <coughs> policy? For example, the closing of Ontario's coal stations was the single most important cause of the 318% rise in power rates since 2002. Thousands of industrial wind turbines are being erected across the province, killing birds and bats and ruining the lives of people living nearby. The expanded use of biofuels has led to 6.5% of the world's grain going to fuel instead of food. Only 6% of the $1 billion spent every day on climate finance goes to helping people today. The rest is dedicated to trying to stop climate change that may someday happen. Yet the reports of the non-governmental International Panel on Climate Change show that the science backing the climate scare is highly uncertain. Isn't it time we focused on problems we know to be real? This message is brought to you by ClimateScienceInternational.org. All right, 373-700-4390-844-562-4766. Nick at LateNightCouncil.com is the email address. And uh, I wanted to just uh, extend, a, extend an invitation if you've never called before. Don't worry, I don't bite. I try to give you as much time as, as necessary. And I've got a little more latitude um, now than I did when I was on a terrestrial radio station. Um, so it's, it's certainly, if you want to take some time to express yourself, we don't have a 90-second rule here. It doesn't mean you're going to get two hours, but you will get enough time to make your point. All right. There is, I want to go back to Patrick Brown for a moment because I, I meant to get to this earlier, and I was derelict in my duties. We're talking about some of the problems that Patrick Brown has let me share with you another one. And this comes from an article from, um, I believe it's from one of the Sun papers. 
I forget which one it is. Okay. Now, it says, here's what's troubling, according to, to a Toronto Star story. A senior member of Brown's staff lied to the newspaper about whether Dunlop was being paid. You're talking about bringing on a staffer called Dunlop and whether or not uh, they were honest about how much they paid and all that stuff. And it, the writer goes on to say, you know, when you're in opposition, that doesn't matter. What a party chooses to pay uh, a staffer or an advisor is nobody else's business. Um, you know, it's not coming from, it, it's not the same thing as when you're in government. Okay, so that's what he's referring to with this uh, Dunlop thing. Uh, let's see. Now, here's what's troubling. According to a Toronto, story, Toronto Star story, a senior member of Brown staff lied to the newspaper about whether Dunlop was being paid and told other, members, other staff members to do likewise despite being told by a lawyer to tell the truth. That's amateur hour. It breaks the first law of politics political communications tell the truth from the beginning but you can't because you can be sure the real story will come out eventually eventually now he's facing a new crisis so let me go back over that for a moment okay this is the oldest easiest thing to defeat i think there is when you make a boo-boo the biggest thing you can do the biggest mistake you can make is try to hide it if you have done something and i don't care what it is if you've made a mistake and it is damaging to you, the way to limit the damage is to own it. Step up and say, yes, that's my mistake. I'm responsible. I take responsibility for it. No one else is at fault here. I'm the guy. Because when you do that, your opposition can, first of all, it's the right thing to do. That's number one. You know, when in, when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, go ahead. You know, when you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, then you might as well do. Uh, so when something like this happens, and it happens to almost every politician I can think of, something damaging will come along. It's a question of how you deal with it that will make the situation either go away or get worse. What's that old story? It's not the lie. It's the cover-up that'll get you. This is the same thing here. So they, they, they forget completely about this basic principle and they knowingly lie to the press. How are, if, if, if you can't be honest about that, then it goes back to the in, whole question of integrity. What's more important, diversity or integrity? What's more important, winning at any cost or winning on principle? That's not for me to answer. That's for Patrick Brown to answer because he doesn't seem to have an answer. And the longer he goes with this, the worse it gets. Anyway, so let me scoot down a little bit into the story here. Now he's facing a new crisis where rookie MPP Sam Oosterhoff appears to be dictating to the leader how he'll vote. Well, okay, I don't necessarily agree with, I think this is Christine Blizzard doing the writing. I don't necessarily agree with everything she has to say here, but she does a good job of outlining the story. Ottawa Vanier Liberal Nathan, uh, Natalie DeRosier was sworn in on Monday after being elected last week. Oosterhoff should have been sworn in at the same time. He wasn't. He won't take his seat until Wednesday. Most observers conclude it's because of a vote in the legislature Tuesday that would give equal status to parents. Okay, now this is, this is where they remove the terms father and mother and call on, on all government forms parents with no respect to the gender of the parents. This is more this progressive pap and absolute nonsense like... <sighs> anyway, okay, I could spend hours on that and I won't. Okay, uh, let's see. Whether they're gay, lesbian, or, you, or used a surrogate. 
Forget the nonsense that it does away with mother and father. It simply reflects reality of today's parenthood. No, it doesn't. It reflects how people want it to be, and they're doing everything they can to make it that way. Most parents do not look at each other and say, good morning, biological, biological reproductive unit number one. Good morning, biological reproductive unit number two. How are you feeling today? They don't do that. Like at our house, my wife and I call each other mom and dad. I call her mama. She calls me dad. Because our kids call us that. So when I walk in the house, I'll say, where's mama? And she'll say, where'd your dad go? Oh, he's hiding under the closet. Or in the closet because he doesn't want you to give him another job to do. Well, I don't hide in the closet. I usually scoot outside somewhere. But I got the kids trained wrong, I think. Anyway, I get ahead of, I, I'm getting ahead of my getting ahead of myself. Oosterhof wasn't sworn in so he could avoid the issue of the vote because he's already made his point clear. You know, and the reason why I don't agree with, with um, Christine on this is he made it very plain what he stood for when he went to his constituents and said, I want to carry the progressive conservative banner. Here is who I am. Here is what I stand for. This is what I believe in. And they voted for him anyway. In other words, they liked what he had to say. So is it any surprise then when he says, I'm going to vote the way my constituents want me to vote? Because that's how I got here. And if I want to serve my, con my constituents properly, I will continue to vote this way because that's why they elected me. And that's how I got elected in my writing. And if Patrick Brown is a problem with that, then the problem is Patrick Brown's, not mine. So, because she gives him some trash about, he got elected as a PC, and, you know, uh, he should now toe the line as a PC or citizen independent. Well, you know something, sitting as an independent, would it really be all that bad an idea? Think about this. Consider this. If somebody gets elected as an independent, let's say, I don't know, in buffalo riding, in, in, in water buffalo riding, who cares? Pick your town. Pick your riding. Okay. They don't, they don't get on committees, and they don't get a chance to ask questions in question period. Those are the two biggest things that I'm pretty sure an independent MP can't do. My answer to that is, so what? That's a smaller slice of their job anyway. Question period has turned into nothing but a three-ring circus. It allows MPs, uh, uh, MPPs and MPs, for that matter, up on, Queen, up on the Hill, uh, to be able to stand up and... and make speeches and, and look like they're being real tough. When the lion's share of the work of a member of parliament or a member of Queen's Park is in the constituency. It's in the day-to-day -day grind of dealing with the issues that your constituents bring to you to, for help. It's in helping them get passports. It's in you know, helping them with birth certificates. It's, it's dealing with, with the different issues, run-of-the-mill issues that are not sexy, that are not fun, don't get you in front of the cameras, but are vital to the people who elected you. That's where, uh, you know, the, the, the member of parliament earns his pay. Now, one thing I will say is that I have never, ever accused any member of parliament or elected, elected official at any level of being lazy. And I put this challenge out to you. If you ever get a chance, just follow any elected official. 
city councillor, member of provincial parliament, uh, you know, any of these people, follow them around for a week. And then when that week's over, tell me if they're lazy. Take a city councillor in Ottawa or in any town, who cares where? Calgary, Vancouver, who cares? The kind of workload that they have. Do you know how much? You better like chicken is all I got to say because you're going to go to a lot of rubber chicken dinners. And every single one of them is vital to the people that are there. And if they ask you to show up, then you better smile and say, man, that's the best chicken I've had all day. Even if you've already forced down three other meals during the course of that day. Because that's what your job is. To be out in your community, listening to what they have to say, knowing what their concerns are, and doing your best to deal with them. It's not standing up yelling at Mr. Speaker or Madam Speaker, whoever the heck it is today, and how terrible the, the government is. We know that. And I'm not saying there's no place for that. But it's not the lion's share of the work. That's what's sexy. That's what makes the news. That's what they play on the radio whenever they play a, a slice from question period. That's what goes into the hamster. That's all true. But the, the grunt work isn't done there. The grunt work is done in the constituency office, in the riding, going around, shaking hands, kissing babies, doing what you can to help those who elected you because they didn't elect you to stand up and scream at Kathleen Wynne. Now, they might want you to now because of the mess she's made and the mess her predecessor made. I think we'd all love to stand up and scream at those guys. They deserve it. But it doesn't change the fact that an elected official's job first lies with their constituents. And anybody who doesn't know that doesn't deserve to be an elected official at any level. All right. With that, we'll take a break. We'll come back with the final segment right after this. Often hear about the supposed dangers of human-induced climate change. But what about the disastrous consequences of climate policy? For example, the closing of Ontario's coal stations was the single most important cause of the 318% rise in power rates since 2002. Thousands of industrial wind turbines are being erected across the province, killing birds and bats and ruining the lives of people living nearby. 
The expanded use of biofuels has led to 6.5% of the world's grain going to fuel instead of food. Only 6% of the $1 billion spent every day on climate finance goes to helping people today. The rest is dedicated to trying to stop climate change that may someday happen. Yet the reports of the non-governmental International Panel on Climate Change show that the science backing the climate scare is highly uncertain. Isn't it time we focused on problems we know to be real? This message is brought to you by ClimateScienceInternational.org. Let's go back to the phones. Let me click on that. Good evening. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Oh, hi, Nick. It's Beth. Hi, Beth. How are you? Oh, if I was any better, I'd be out under the apple tree looking for the bent penny. Of course you would. <laughs> Where else would I be? And now that there's no snow, you could do that. <laughs> I might even find one. Yeah. Huh? Um, listen, uh, talking about uh, Patrick Brown and problems with the PC party, Mm. Um, I'm in Glengarry Prescott Russell out here in Embram. Yes. And um, and uh, we had uh, two people running for the nomination for the PC uh, candidacy, mm-hmm. and um, they decided to do instead of holding the nominations, were, the nominations were supposed to begin January 2017 as per the rules. Right. But for some reason, they desire, decided to have a snap election in Glengarry, Prescott Russell, and um, uh, one of the candidates, Derek Duval, had managed to get over 1,200 memberships for the PC party. His rival, Amanda Simard, who's one of the councillors at Russell Township, um, she had sold only a fraction of what Derek had sold, and uh, they came to him last night and told him that because of the video that that he made numerous years ago about some goings on in Van Cleek Hill at a St. Patrick's Day hockey tournament. Nothing bad about it, but they had a problem saying that he was someone was eating a hamster in the video when it was tin. Um, they used that as saying that they were going to acclaim Amanda that he was would not be accepted as a candidate. Well, this is a similar pattern we've seen before when they come up with the absolute most bu- um, uh, ridiculous excuse People. they can find. And use it's that. Obvious, it's becoming obvious that the PC party is only wanting young females in. Well, they have in Windsor, as an example, there was a young a young man down there who was is put in. But they want progressives. They're not I interested know, and in they the conservative from side. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Well, the thing about Duval, and I don't know him. I've never met him. Never talked to him. But you got to feel for the guy. He goes out. Oh, absolutely. Think about this. The ramifications of this, if this is allowed to continue across the province, he just signed up 1,200 people, brought $12,000 into the PC coffers, and they basically said, thanks for the money, now get lost. How many of those 1,200 are going to vote PC in the next election? Exactly. When it became clear, they did everything besides changing the nomination date to ahead of when the rules say they're supposed to have them. Um, I mean, everything they did, they only were going to have one um, voting place, and that was going to be here in Embram, and and Derek is down around Van Cleek Hill, so close to an hour away from here. Right. Um, And then there were so many people complained that they added a second one down on the other end of Glengarry Prescott Russell, because we're one of the biggest ridings there is. Right. As far as area goes. And um, and they try they so they they've been trying all the shenanigans they could to uh, to uh, weigh it in a certain person's favor, and when that didn't work, they used this feeble excuse. And I think it's outrageous. And I think Amanda Samard should refuse to be acclaimed, and she should demand that they have a nomination meeting as they are supposed to. And if she does that, I think she's going to get a lot of support that she didn't have before. Well, Because it would show that she believes in democracy, because anything less than that is undemocratic. You, you and I are on the same page. Now, I hope Absolutely. she does that. I don't know her either, so I can't say she, whether she will or she won't. Um, well, I've met her, and I, I just think everyone should be just uh, emailing her, uh, calling her, whatever, because she's one of the counselors here at Russell Township. And, uh, and asking her what she's going to do and putting pressure on her to do the right thing. Well, because I certainly she hope she does do that, and I certainly hope that the... the right p- thing. Yeah, because you know what? Doing the, you never have to apologize for doing the right thing. That's right. And, that's and you will gain respect and support that you didn't have before, whereas if you do the wrong thing, uh, the PCs won't win here. We're already, we're already... We've got Grant Crack as our liberal MPP here, for Pete's sake, and it's only because Kathleen Wynn keeps trotting out here floating money around like it's going out of freaking style, giving it to companies, people and and organizations out here uh, to vote for her. Um, The PCs will never win if they pull this stunt in here because real conservatives won't vote for them. Well, that's that's a problem. It's not limited to just Carleton and to your riding. Um, This is a problem that's cropping up all over the province and is going to come back to haunt them big time. Because let me me throw this out there. What's that? One of the other things, he is a Christian, and his family, he is religious. Oh, well, he's done like dinner then. Yeah. I mean, that's, exactly. you know, how dare you be a Christian? I mean, that's the most disgusting exactly. thing you could be. I mean, you know, yep. you're better off to, you, yep. anyway. But let me throw this out there. What if, there, of the people who get slighted, like Mr. Duvall and Mr. Tysick, if they and, say, half a dozen others were to run as independents and get elected in the next election based on the outrage the people in the riding feel towards the PC party for the way it conducted itself during this process, and they were to win. You're, an exact, you're ex- exactly on the same page. There's, I've actually got a meeting organized out in my neck of the woods here to get together with some other concerned citizens, and we are going to be looking at how, what we can do, how we can do it, how we can back people to run this independence as a group. And I, I'm, as you know, I'm connected to a lot of groups. Mm-hmm. And if we connected those groups, because we all say the same thing, stop back off government. And if you get independents that are principled conservatives running, 
um, and backed by principled conservatives, we could do it. Because I'm I, one of the things with uh, the population of people going out to vote, the voter numbers are always so low. Well, part of the problem is because liberal Tory, same old story. Conservatives, real conservatives, don't know where to place their vote anymore, so they don't vote. Well, it's not necessarily apathy. It's because liberal Tory, same old story. Yep, you can't. You, nothing's going to change. As I asked Tom mm -hmm. earlier in the first part of the show, I said, if you and I'll ask you this question: Looking at the two parties as they stand now, if there was an election today, um, which what's the, the biggest difference? Okay, but the question is, what's the difference between them? If you had to point to me the biggest difference between uh, the Liberals and the Tories, what is it? Right now, the only thing is that Patrick Brown is saying that they would end the green energy program, and the Liberals aren't saying that. And that do we, is the only difference between them right now. And, and I don't know if I would believe them anyhow. Well, that was where I was going Patrick next. Brown the question stabbed uh, the landowners in the back, and I mean, he could be saying one thing. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing, and who's to say he's still not? Well, lie to me once, shame on me. Yeah, exactly. Or shame I'm on you. Independently. Yeah. yeah. All right, Beth, appreciate the call. Thank you. Okay. All Thank right. You. Good night. There we go. All right. Now, um, the last couple of minutes in the show. Oh, you know what? That, that, oh my good Lord, the show's over. All right, folks, I will have an announcement for you about scheduling coming up next week. Uh, Join us then. In the meantime, if you want to join uh, next nights on Facebook, send me a request. I'll make you a member, and you get all the perks and benefits of the office. Other than that, i got to wrap it up. Ubicaritas et amor. Deo CBS. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. Of all the money that I had, I spent it. And all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done for want of wit To memory now I can't recall So And drink a health whatever befalls Then gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Of all the comrades that it I had They're sorry for my going and all the sweethearts that e'er I had They'd wish me one more day to stay But since it fell